Remote work has long moved beyond simply being a trend or a lifestyle. It's a natural evolution in the way we work and collaborate, a complete and vital redesign with profound positive impact for businesses, teams, and society as a whole. With it comes a work culture revolution that requires putting freedom, trust, and conscious behavior at the core of every business who wants to thrive. I'm Sarah Regalhuth, your host, and I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and expert in growing happy, high-performing remote teams. Since 2014, I've been running all my businesses remotely, and that has deeply changed who I am as a leader. I've gone from micromanaging an unhappy team, suffering high turnover and working long hours, to moving to the US, traveling roughly six months a year, and loving the shit out of my team and being constantly amazed as to what we're achieving. Join me as I dive into conversations about remote work magic, conscious culture, and the future of work with some of the most inspiring founders and leaders in the remote work space. Insights, tips, success, and failure, innovation, we share it all. Let's dive in. Welcome to this episode of Conscious Culture. I have my guest today, Jordan Carroll, who is a friend I connected with recently through Plumia, which is the first internet country. That's a whole other rabbit hole that Jordan and I didn't talk about that I could talk about. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a group of us that are working on this concept and idea of citizenship of an internet country versus um, or alongside your country of nationality or residence. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, but we met through through that. There's a whole group of people who live more remotely, more globally minded, um, and that are involved in the founding of that. And that's how we connected. And Jordan is great. He's also been working remotely for seven years and has now become a remote work coach or a remote job coach, I should say, works with people helping them to find remote work, find the job of their dreams. But we have a great conversation today all about what it's been like the last year and having everybody kind of catch up to where we're at and how that's transitioning his business. Um, and yeah, just some other good stuff around how to actually, he's a, he's a wealth of knowledge around how to actually find that remote job of your dreams. So enjoy the episode. Hey, Jordan, thank you for joining me. How are you? Sarah, I am doing wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on. Come dialing in from Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, I love Mexico, it. Mexico, buenas tardes. <laughs> ¿Cómo estás? Oh my gosh, I need to spend some more time down there and get my Spanish up to speed because it's terrible I mean, it doesn't, right now. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to know Spanish unless you're going to be here, but uh, I live here, so. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, well, it's it actually snowed in Austin yesterday, so I'm guessing that you have nicer weather than we have here. <laughs> yeah, about about almost probably 80 degrees. Nice. Uh, it's been raining, but uh, even when it rains here, it's actually nice because uh, it's still warm. So. <laughs> Cool. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the show. You are a remote work coach, I guess is the best way to describe what you do, but I will let you actually mm. do that. I'd love to hear um, a little bit more about your background, which we'll dive into in a minute. But um, yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think it's a different perspective than what we've had. Um, obviously, the world has completely shifted 
in the last 12 months. You and I have been living this more remote nomadic lifestyle for a long time. It's been super interesting for us to, people like us, I should say, to um, watch the rest of the world catch up. So I just think there's so much knowledge that you can share with us and, and everything. But let's start with how you even got to be a remote work coach living in Mexico, mm. <laughs> living the dream in yeah. Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been remote for close to seven years now. And throughout that journey, I've worked for a fortune hundred company remotely as an employee. I've worked for a fully distributed remote travel company with about 150 employees and I've worked for, for other startups and I've worked for my own companies. So I've had a wide range of experience working mm-hmm. remotely and not only for myself, but as an employee. So I think that yep. gave me a really interesting perspective to become what, what I call as my alter ego is the remote job coach. So, uh, you know, I, I like to help high performers learn an actual process for how to find remote work, legitimate remote mm. jobs that they can do from anywhere. So that's, that's uh, what I focus on. And, and I, I, I look at a lot of my experiences over the course of the seven years working remotely. And especially when I, I look at myself being an employee, I didn't apply to any of those positions. I, I always had a referral and always used my network to, to get positions. So the methodology in which I teach is similar to how, you know, a lot of people view job searching is it's much more effective to get a referral. But when it comes to remote work, a lot of people haven't known what types of resources they should be using that are different than, you know, Indeed or Monster or, or, or going to a career fair or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the things that we've done in the past, those have shifted as remote work has become more prevalent. So I'm mm-hmm. super excited, actually, that we've seen this acceleration in remote work because a lot more companies are going to be offering remote work to employees, but that means that there's going to be a lot more competition. So now yeah. you really have and you also need to have remote skills and, and an ability to be a valuable employee to these types of companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I would imagine that the way that you're working with people has shifted a little bit because before there was probably, you know, techniques and tools and tactics that you had to use in a world that largely wasn't remote. Whereas now it's like, yeah. okay, like you said, cutting through is, is different now. And where do we find, there's a lot more job sites and Uh, so much more technology, just like, like remotely, (laughs) like our technology, there's so much more popping up now. Um, so many more options and opportunities for people, but that's also just creating more layers of complexity that you can help guide people through. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it's the, uh, it's the other end of the sword there. It's, it's a lot of noise and it creates this really kind of chaotic atmosphere where if you don't know exactly what information to use to, to actually hold as truth, then it can be even more daunting as a, as a job seeker. So mm-hmm. with that change comes other change and my, my methods have had to adapt, but so is everybody else's. And I'm actually still overall grateful for, for what's happened. Well, what I find is interesting too, is a lot of these companies are like, yeah, well, we'll do remote now, but then after the pandemic, we're all coming back to the office. So you'll find that the policy and the culture and the attitude hasn't caught up to the need yet. Like the, the physical environment may have changed, but there's still like a lot of companies are holding on desperately for the, you know, the, the office culture and, and whatever other policies that they had in place and they're forcing people to come back. So we'll mm-hmm. see how that turns out. And that's definitely got to be a consideration for people. I mean, 
I know anecdotally just a lot of people that I speak with and then we also did our survey, but largely professionals are not wanting to go back to the office. Mm -hmm. And if you are in the process right now of finding new employment, your job hunting or whatever, it's like, how do you be sure that that new job isn't going to turn around in six, 12, 18 months and be like, all right, you now need to be office-based. Is that something that's coming up a lot? Yeah. It's super interesting. And I look at it from the company perspective. I'm like, why the hell would you say that to people? Like, why, why would you put them in a position where we're in this, like, I understand the need for a hybrid environment where you have some people in the office and, and you have some people remote, but I think we're all going towards this point where there should be a, a lot more choice. Mm-hmm. And, and if someone can get their work done, why does it matter that they come to an office or not? If they're getting the work done. Yeah, exactly. It, it, I don't believe in fully remote for everything. Cause I don't think that that, I think they, I think again, the office does have a, a place for some people. They do like to go to the office. And I, I talked to some people who do want to go back, but talk to a larger majority of people who are like, I'm only finding these positions that with these companies that say, I still, I have to come back now, or I'm going to eventually come back. And that terrifies mm. me. And I think the definition of hybrid needs to be like broad and expanded and understood mm-hmm. as well, because in my experience, hybrid where half the team are always in an office and half the team are always yeah. remote doesn't work. Like it's uh, yeah, really exactly. not conducive because you end up with um, naturally like different kind of culture or clicks forming with the people that are physically spending all this time together. Mm-hmm. And, or even if it's not clicks or anything, it could just be the biases. way information flows, yeah. Biases. biases. Yeah. Um, I think, I think communication flow is, is one of the big ones. Like if, if everybody's remote or at least flexible and not guaranteed to be anywhere at any particular point in time, the communication flow has to always look a certain way online. Like we have to make sure that we're writing handover notes or, you know, using Zoom or Tandem or whatever it is that we use for our meetings. And and I think what can happen when you have a core group of people who are always physically in the same space, they start communicating differently because they don't need to write the things down anywhere for anyone else to see. Um, and then you've got the other people like trying to over communicate and understand what's going on. And so much gets lost in translation. But I think, I think what hybrid really means and needs to look like is you mentioned like the freedom and the flexibility, the freedom to choose. So giving someone's physical space to go to, which could actually be a co-working space in their city or their town. It doesn't necessarily mean location, um, specific to the company, uh, giving people these options of how they might, want to work and empowering them to make those types of decisions, which may include having a physical space that you control as an organization, especially if you're a bigger company in a central location, but still the infrastructure of how you all operate culturally and communicatively and as a team really needs to sit Mm -hmm. online. I would, I think I would argue in my experience. I would agree because that's going to be the, the place where it's most accessible to everybody. And, yeah. and, you know, most of us have been more, like most of us have been in the the market for, you know, five, 10, 15 years, whatever. And a lot of our work has been done virtually. So, I mean, you've used a computer to talk to somebody even at a different, uh, you know, company site. Right. So if, I, if we got a company site in Dallas and also Houston, whenever you're working with the, the people from Houston, you're working remotely from them. So yeah. 
there, I think a lot of people kind of underestimate how much we've already done with kind of virtual work. And then now we just need to kind of let the, the culture shift and the policy shift actually reflect what's needed now, which mm. is when a global pandemic hits, if it ever does again, uh, the need to, to be able to, you know, transition more smoothly mm-hmm. than how, it, how it's been for a lot of people. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way to put it. Like we've, we've essentially all been working virtually or online, however you want to call it, for a long time. I mean, I'm at the, I'm the oldest end of the millennials or like mm-hmm. one year, I think 1980, I'm born in 81. So I'm like at the oldest end of the millennials, I've probably got around 20 years of professional work experience now. And even very early, like I, it wasn't very many years of my career where we had local servers or anything that was physical from like the actual aspect of what I was doing. Like most of the technology I've been using all, almost all of my career has been cloud-based. So at least from that perspective, everything I've been doing in my work has been Mm -hmm. online. It was a little more clunkier in my early first few years of my career, but I think that's a really good point you make. Like the infrastructure was actually already there for most most of us. Um, and the the way that we actually worked was already there. It's just that we were putting ourselves in a place with other people. Mm. Yeah. So, and what are you seeing, what have you seen in the last 12 months among the individuals, the professionals that are job hunting? Like, have you seen a much bigger influx of people wanting to work remotely? That's what I've experienced, but I'd be curious to hear it in your words seen a lot of desperation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people in troubled places, which is unfortunate. And you, I'm a person who, you know, I obviously coach people for this. So I get a lot of people who, who send me inbound requests to, to help them in different ways and, and chat with them and look at their resume and do all these things. And the, the biggest thing I've noticed is that people in this time are desperate and they need something fast, but that's one of the things that uh, actually extends your job search. When you act in a way that's desperate in short term, mm. doesn't really serve the company, the, the interests of the company, but you're trying to serve yourself, it'll end up uh, you know, rubbing off on mm-hmm. everything that you do. All the messaging, all, all of the cover letters, the resumes, the communications you do with hire managers, interviews, and people don't want to hire people like that. So that, that's what I'm seeing a lot is a lot of people not getting through, you know, the, the application tracking systems, not, not being able to get into contact with people, not having good networks, you know, neglecting the, the ability to build a solid network. And then now all of a sudden, once they need everything in, in the kitchen sink, they're desperate. So mm. it's, it's tough. It is tough and unemployment is obviously on the rise for the most part. So that's probably only going to get tougher for at mm-hmm. least a period of time. Um, and I think like what you said, it, it doesn't it doesn't serve the company to hire someone who's desperate, who's literally just needing a paycheck and they're yeah. kind of taking whatever they want because they will also, it's also not serving them because they're going to show up and not be happy or it's not going to be the right fit. And ultimately they'll then be hunting for something else and and leave. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I'm so about culture fit being the number one kind of thing that makes mm-hmm. the difference and results in 
higher performing companies, which means people's jobs are more secure ultimately anyway. Um, So I think, you know, if if you could talk to that a little bit around how people, like how do do you coach people through finding that culture fit and taking time? Like how do individuals actually look for the right companies and understand the places that they may get to work and what they would be like? Yeah, it always starts with knowing yourself first. So understanding not only the the skill set and the things that you hold as experience wise, but you know what are the things that you've really valued in in past organizations you've worked for? What are the things that you've despised? Right? Sometimes it's like playing the game of uh, a process of elimination is easier because mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of times we know what we don't like, but we don't always know what we want or what we do like. So use that process of elimination to determine what it is that's, that's not right for you. And then life itself is mostly just an experiment. You're never really going to know if it's the right culture fit until you're there, but you know, you can take a lot of educated guesses based on, uh, I, I think a great way to look at it is, is joining, uh, email newsletters, mm-hmm. you know, uh, joining as a customer, if you can trying to, to soak up, get into the ecosystem of, how they send out the messages to the clients, you know, what is it that they care about uh, within their marketing, things like that, and then get to know people that actually work at the organization. That's the big one. If you can, if you can befriend or connect people who actually know what's on the inner, you know, the inside of the organization, that's going to one, give you a really good perspective of what it's actually like to work there. And then two, it's going to give you a line uh, to a recommendation or referral to work there. Mm -hmm. So without that, it's really I mean, a job search or knowing a culture fit is, I mean, it's almost impossible, right? And so put yourself in a good position to get the job and then put yourself in a good position to also do the qualification process yourself. A job search is not a company finding someone uh, for uh, whatever it is that they need. It's not a person finding a job. It's a mutual fit that they need to come to of an agreement to say, this is the the problem we have. I'm the solution and we want to make this work. Mm-hmm. So looking at it as just a one-way street doesn't help either. Mm. And I imagine being honest with yourself about whether like you can game it and you can learn mm-hmm. a company's culture and values and show up in a way that um, would impress them. Yeah. <laughs> You'll try but like, is that your truth? Is that honestly who right. you are and how you are? Because, you know, winning the game is getting the job, but then you won't actually thrive there. I think that's something really important to consider. It's almost like dating, right? Like you can show yeah. up on a first date and like, if you're really clever, you can probably figure out how to be that girl or that guy that that other person will find attractive. But if you're not being yourself, the longevity of that connection and the challenge that's going to actually come about as you move forward if you're mm-hmm. not in your truth with who you are um is just going to it's just going to be there the whole time it's not worth it no not worth it at all and i think more companies are now the the whole world the whole professional world is getting more casual which i love mm-hmm. me too they're yeah. allowing people to be themselves for a long time i mean even when i i worked in corporate in 2013 albeit i worked remotely a lot uh, I was suit and tie whenever I was meeting a customer or I was going to like co-located events where we'd have uh, sales kickoffs and stuff like that, you know? And I remember that being very normal uh, as, as far as, you know, uh, what I felt like I should wear. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, 
people in these organizations really want people they can just spend time with. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously we're going to get our work done, but if all things are equal and you have the same skills and talent experience as someone else, but they like that person more and actually just want to work with that person, I'm going to pick that person every single time. Yep. Yeah. I think we've moved to a place where we understand that, you know, I, I used to think, cause I was in financial advice for 17 years. Oh, I yeah. also wore like suits and things for the first part of my career and then eventually sort of started stepping into my own and, it was definitely unique in that industry because I would turn up to conferences and speak on stage or whatever and not be wearing the corporate attire that everybody else was. Mm-hmm. But I would also always reiterate to people like my brain hasn't changed. Who I am as a person hasn't changed because I'm wearing different clothes. I'm still, yeah. I still have yeah. the finance degree. I still yeah. have, in fact, I have more experience now because I've been doing yeah. it longer. Um, my ability to connect with people, my ability to give sound financial advice doesn't change because I'm more comfortable um, and feel more myself dressing like this. Actually, it's expansive for me. So I'm so happy that that part of the world is shifting and evolving. And it's not to say that like if a suit is what makes you feel like crushing it, then that's absolutely what you should be wearing. Um, But if it's a uniform... No, like we yeah. don't need to wear uniforms. That, I think that goes back to choice. That's what, that's what remote work's all about. This is about choice. So the mm-hmm. moment that things are going away from choice, then it's time to kind of look at that and say, you know, is this for the benefit of the organization? Or are we doing this just because this is what's always been done, right? Mm. And I think one difficult thing for a lot of people this past year has been, this hasn't really been remote work. I mean, this has yeah. been like, you're stuck at home, locked in your house, locked in your house work, <laughs> which, you know, is not the essence of remote work that we've come to love and know. So mm-hmm. I think if we can get back on track with the world feeling more, uh, okay with choice and people having the personal liberty to make choices, that's going to be better for everybody in my opinion. Yeah, well, I'm 100% in agreement with that. I mean, that's the whole reason why, probably for you as well, why we ended up working remotely before mm-hmm. everybody else did because I wanted the freedom to yeah. be where I wanted to be. Once again, because I'm in Bali in a bikini doesn't mean my ability to run a company is any different to what it would right. be if I was in an office in Melbourne, Australia, or in New York City or wherever it might be. Um And so it was that freedom to be where I wanted to be in the environment that I wanted to be in. I I mean, I did not thrive in air conditioned gray cubicle type scenarios. It wasn't my, I like fresh air a lot and I like nature. So if I can be more in that type of environment, my work productivity will be better, my efficiency, my creativity and same with what I'm wearing and how I feel in my body and all of that kind of thing. And that comes through even to the flow of my day, um, right. you know, sitting down for an eight hour chunk straight is actually what I do some days, but not all days. Um, there are a couple of days a week where I usually really like to do that because my energy is on point those days, but I love to have the freedom and the choice to kind of get up early and work some days or work into the evening sometimes or take, take a break in the afternoon to go, I don't know, for a ski and then get back and work later. And I have no problem with anyone in my team living that same way. I think that can be really scary for 
um, leaders Mm -hmm. to let go of the reins a little bit. And I think that's what we're seeing. Obviously, a lot of companies and leaders are still wrangling with like, whoa, can this actually work? I think they're starting to see that it does, but it's a transition. (laughs) Yeah. And I think even just back to your Bali bikini one, it's like when you're living in that way of, of just total contentment to the fact that you can live the way you want to, I'd say it, it inversely impacts the business in a positive way, right? We, we're always thinking of, oh, well, what about all the distractions? What about all this or that? It's like, if you're sitting in a cubicle and you're literally just sitting there because you feel like you have to be there and you're on your phone playing games or just counting, watching the clock, like you're not going to be more productive. So if the person's actually in Bali having an amazing time, at least for me, as I've traveled more and as I've put myself in more situations where I'm living like my quote unquote ideal lifestyle, I have worked harder to maintain it because I have felt like, Oh, at any moment I may not be able to do this. So I'm going to work my ass off and make sure that this is my life now. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's, you know, maybe something that's overlooked. Mm, I love that. So good. I want to circle back to the values piece. Um, It's something really important for me as a leader of my companies is to know and understand our values as an organization, how we show up every day. Um, And, you know, that forms kind of over time a little bit. It does often come from the leader to begin with. And then as you grow the team, it sort of becomes real, like who we are and how we show up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think what I talk to companies about is like knowing the truth of your values and being able to communicate them effectively, like not saying you're flexible if you're actually a more structured organization, like neither is right or wrong. It's better to communicate more effectively. Um, One of our values is trust through transparency. And a lot of that has come about from me over over time showing up with everything to my team and even my shortcomings, even the days where I'm not good, sometimes having a cry in a team meeting, like that's who I am. I'm very emotional. So I bring all of that. And I'm very transparent with them about the everything that happens in the organization, including financials and all of it. And I was interviewing um, for our CTO role actually last year. And there was a really great candidate. Like everything was really good and we got on really well. And then we got to a certain point where we wanted to reference check. And he didn't want to provide references until he had a job offer because he said, you know, these people don't know that I'm applying for a job. And that was a point I really liked this person and I really wanted to proceed, but I had to check in with my values and, and our values as an organization, our values are very strong around this trust through transparency. And when people leave our organization, it's something that we all know about and we help (laughs) and guide and we navigate the transition together. And so I explained that to him and said, like, this is one of our really important values. So we're kind of hitting a point here where I'm not sure that we can go forward because what you're saying is you're not transparent with people and you're not comfortable with being transparent with them. And, you know, he tried to explain, well, that's just not how it works in the real world. I'm like, that's okay. Like that's how it works in our world. And, (laughs) and it was, it was tough. It was a tough conversation. Um, And we ended up going our separate ways, but I think ultimately the truth as well is had he come into our organization and been bombarded with the level of openness that we all have, (laughs) you know, it might've been too much. Um, 
And it certainly, like I said, is not right or wrong. Like some people do like to keep parts of themselves more segmented or whatever it might be. And that's an, a completely okay way to live. But for us, it was like, this is just super important to me. I need to know yeah. and trust that my team members will tell me when they're ready to move on or to move into something else or it's not feeling right, just as I will tell them if I'm starting to feel like it's not the right fit and we'll navigate it together. So how do you see that showing up on the candidate side? Do a lot of people know who they are and their values and do they know how to make those matches with companies? Do you see a lot of that conversation happening? Honestly, it's tough because I think a lot of people come into it looking for the job first. Yeah. So I often, I often have to look at what's the priority of the person first. Is it money? Is it living abroad? Is it working in a specific industry? Is it a range of things? Right. Whatever the the criteria is for the priority of that person might depend on the way that we go about the search. Because for them, if it doesn't really matter what company or what industry, it's just like, I want to make a, a bunch of money remotely, then we don't have to be so concerned about the values up front. Mm-hmm. We want to try to see which companies or which positions are going to be hiring for that level. And then we get a little bit more specific down the line. Now, someone who cares a lot more about impact and autonomy and being able to you know, work with awesome people and whatever that it, that looks like for them, maybe we start targeting the type of company first and we start looking within their network for the types of people that are working at those companies already. So, I mean, there's a lot of, it does come down to the network a lot. I think no matter what route the person ends up going, but the values for some people are less important than you might think. Well, but Um, I also think what you're saying there is if the values of that person are, I want to make a lot of money mm, through my work, which I'm happy to grind it out. I don't really need to be super engaged with it so that I can do this other stuff. Like that is perfectly acceptable. Sure. And there's so many companies that that will work in so well where they're also not going to like care that much about you. As long as you're showing up and doing your job, they're going to reward you with a fat paycheck that you guys are actually aligned from a values perspective. Right. Even if it's not necessarily like articulated in the way that a a really warm and fuzzy company like mine might. Um, But I think that's ultimately what you're getting to, which, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's a good point because I think when I think of values, I think of like, you know, the values section on the mission page in the about on a website. But what ends up actually manifesting as values is how the company interacts with the world and with themselves, right? And how the, the, the actions and the behaviors that they take. So it's definitely not the case where we go and I think search online on those about pages for the values. We, we take a look at what are the company's actions out there that align mm-hmm. to what this person is looking for. So in an indirect way, um, yeah, just to, I think you're, you're spot on. Well, and I think it's like, uh, the values piece is probably the culture evolution that we saw that's prior to kind of the conscious culture evolution that's emerging right now, Mm -hmm. which was this, like, we need to have a vision and a mission and values, which is great. You know, it is really important, but a lot of them became like tick box exercises and a lot of them put aspirational values on there. And, uh, I think this is, 
what we're starting to see now, what I hope to see, what I certainly encourage for companies and for individuals is like your values are okay, whatever they are, know them, own them, communicate them. So if that company's value is like grind out, grind it really hard, like we work hard, we show up, we get paid for it, we get rewarded, um, it's okay. Like that's it. Like, you know, that's yeah. your values. Like make it like, this is a kind of a more of a, a cutthroat dog eat dog type company. We like that. We like people that want to come in and just crush it in that way or, or whatever. Like there is no actual, I think that's the next evolution of consciousness potentially is this getting away from black and white, right or wrong, good or bad labels. And just being like, things just are the way they yeah. are. And what serves us most is to know who we are or who our organization is. And then we can like vibrationally attract in who, who works there, who suits working there and who will thrive. That sounds like it would help a lot more than just jobs at the moment. It helped yeah. the world, you know, <laughs> politi- politics and all this. Like there's always just seems like the world continues to just be divided in all these ways. So mm-hmm. the more we can just understand ourselves and, I don't know, be compassionate and empathetic to others that feel differently and not vilify everybody and everything all the time. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's a whole nother topic, but oh I, my I, gosh, I know but it's one close to my heart as well. <laughs> 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 yeah. We can go there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's exactly what it is. Like opening your mind up to the fact that there is no bad or wrong mm-hmm. or right or whatever. I just finished, um, the book Finite and Infinite Games. I'm not sure if you've read it or if anybody no, I has. Yeah, I, I read it about it in my newsletter the other day, actually. But it's um, it was such a profound book. It's a short book, um, but it kind of explains essentially this the two ways of living. And and one way, if you're playing a finite game, it's like the only objective is to win. It's to get it right yeah. with some ultimate end goal that you win, and you you have a lot more constraints. There are rules and there are ways you should be and act and respond to things that happen in order to get that objective. So you're never really in the moment. You're just looking toward the future and ticking the box and getting the thing. Right. An infinite game is more like you enjoy the play and you enjoy the continuation of the game. So right. the rules are always changing. The players are always changing there's not really any constraints. There's no right way to act or respond to a certain situation. It's just, just living ultimately. And it was such a beautiful summation or words around how I try to live. And when I find myself in the finite game, which is me living in the future, focused on some arbitrary goal and trying to get it right to get there, I'm like, come back to now. Like, there is no future. There is no past. There is only this present moment. And how am I engaging with the game right now? Um, Yeah. Fall in love with, you got to fall in love with the game. It's it's a beautiful thing. And the more that you fall in love with the process and the day to day, the more you can appreciate the beauty that's actually present there every single day. Mm -hmm. Because if, 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 if all your happiness is reliant on this means to an end, you know, you're never going to be happy. The external mm-hmm. world will always just be that thing that I need the car. I need the apartment. I need the, I need to live here. I need to do that. And then I'll be happy. Then I'll have this. And it's like, it's not really what life is. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, pr- I'm trying to practice this with food right now, actually, as far as the finite versus infinite, because mm-hmm. I've always done these really restrictive diets where 
it's, it's forced me to, you know, give up all these different things for this amount of time. And then I get in really, really good shape. And then as soon as I stop, whatever program that is, I immediately like binge eat and like (laughs) get sick and like do all this stuff. And I'm working with this woman right now, who's my health coach. And we're just, you know, trying to figure out how I can recreate a better relationship with food. Uh, that's been like, ironically, I don't, I don't know if it's ironic, but out of everything I've done in my life, out of all the challenges, this is the hardest, mm. like my relationship with food is like the hardest thing. I know we didn't expect to go this way. With no, this podcast, it's good though. I mean, I think so many people can relate, like yeah. I can, you know, it's, yeah. and I think money is another one. Our relationship mm-hmm. with money, like people have a lot of parallels um, yeah. where same thing, like they might be like really dedicated to their saving and they're going to do something really because they've got a goal and they're trying to be really good. And then once they get there, they just like blow it all and start spending crazily again. And like, I mean, that's just one, one pattern that can show up, but yeah, yeah. I think our, our relationship with these things that are ultimately, I guess, ultimately energy sources, like food is an energy source. And we, uh, it's also really pleasurable. Like we live in this abundant, there is such an abundance of food. We then create these like scarcity models (laughs) for ourselves that aren't necessarily real. Um, And like swaying between this like abundance and scarcity and trying to get our head around it all. And it's really challenging. And I think it's something that most of us um, in the more, affluent world. And I don't even mean rich. I just mean any of us who have grown up with access to grocery stores that have lots of different products, even the fact that you can go and choose from like 20 different brands of yogurt or something. It's like everything is just abundant. Um, It's like the paralysis of choice and then the relationship Mm -hmm. we have, but coming back to like energy source and I try to um, embody like intuitive eating where I just be intuitive. That's what I'm working on. Yeah. yeah that's, that's what I'm doing. That's cool. That's kind of what I do. And I still um, am not perfect at it either. But, um, you know, I always love my carbohydrates. And obviously we've, there's been this whole, for however long, like carbs are the devil and they're so bad and this high protein thing. And I'm vegan. I love my carbohydrates. I'm like, well, yeah. you know, how does my body feel? Like that's the most important thing. And what am I actually craving right now? Um, and, and trying to listen to that, but it's, yeah. I didn't realize you're intuitive eater before I said that. That's great. (laughs) I'm like super working on this right now. I literally just like haven't been able to figure out for the life of me for the longest time. What, what's the right thing for my, my body and what I want to eat. So Well, I think it makes sense. Like if you have been following diets and stuff, you're always, it's like you're looking externally for the answer of which our world is set up for. Our world is set up to answer everything externally for us. You know, the fitness program, the diet, the career, like the pathway to your career, um, the financial plan. And like, we're really not taught how to know ourselves, how to be in connection with ourselves, how to tap our intuition of all in relation to all of those things, like what actually feels good for us, what nurtures us. I like to look at it as energy. Like if I feel my own energy, what is expansive versus what Mm -hmm. is contracting me? Like what feels tight versus what feels like freeing. And the more that we can learn to listen to that, we have like infinite answers inside ourselves. Right. For all of this stuff. Yeah. Everything we ever need is already, is in there somewhere. 
Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's cool. Well, I think on that note, we can probably wrap up or end up going down the rabbit hole of food and all sorts of things, but it was really cool talking with you, Jordan. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I know you recently gave some of our open roles a shout out on your newsletter list. So where we'll, we'll include everything in the show notes, but really quickly, where can people go to sign up for your newsletter? You send really informative stuff out really regularly. How often do you like more than once a week? I feel like. Yeah. Um, I mean, depending on what I have, I mean, the ideal is I'm sending out three, four a week. I always send out remote jobs, um, free remote jobs that I've found on the internet. Um, I have my team and I select you know, certain jobs that we're sending out there. And then yeah. I have posts that I, I create either, you know, it's, it's about remote work topics, things that are happening and, or advice or, or tips to help remote job seekers. Amazing. Um, and just talk about the future of remote work, which is really cool. So yeah, I try to send at least two to four a week. Um, so if you're interested in it, that's, uh, that's what comes your way. Uh, yeah. you can just go to the remote and Amazing. all of my stuff's there. So yeah, easy. we'll include, we'll include everything in the show notes, but I would highly recommend, um, jumping on that newsletter list and, and, uh, you know, if you do actually want specific, to work with someone specifically on that ideal next remote role. Like I can't recommend Jordan highly enough. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your wisdom with us. I think it was really beneficial for people to think about. Amazing, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with myself and fellow kindred spirit, Jordan Carroll. Uh, I think it was a great conversation ending on the intuitive eating stuff. We have, we have more commonalities that we could have gone on about for hours, but I think, I think we covered the most important points. <laughs> um, if you like the show, I would love it and appreciate it. If you give me a five-star rating on whatever platform platform you listen on. Um, and as always, thank you for tuning in. What else have I got for you today? Uh, Grow My Team is running more of our leadership programs, our transitioning from manager to leader program. Um, It's all about conscious leadership and developing that muscle within your leadership ability. Really great for founders and their team leaders within their organization to do together or to send your new or developing leaders or even more experienced leaders. It's a six week program, 90 minute sessions every single week um, in small groups of six to eight. We do keep them small to encourage and incorporate peer mentoring as part of the curriculum um, along with everything that we're providing but the feedback has been amazing I highly recommend it I've put all of my team through my own program the Grow Motley team are going to start going through it too now um, well I say my own program it wasn't developed by me it was developed by Janine Tracy who is very very experienced in this area and she delivers the program she's fantastic so that'll the link will be in the show notes for that as well but do check that out it's $1,997 for the six weeks um, so it is a really fantastic value for what you'll get um, totally transitioning your leadership style or the leadership style of your team and that's it for this episode so thank you again for tuning in 